Thank you for being a part of our church service today. It is our desire at Riverstone Church that God's Word will work in you to produce an abundant field life. To know more about the ministry or to support, visit riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you today as you listen to this message. I'd like you to uh, turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read there in uh, that passage here in just a few moments. 2 Kings uh, chapter 3. We'll begin at uh, verse 9 in a a few minutes. A few weeks ago, I I, I made the statement kind of uh, maybe a little tongue-in-cheek, but that uh, it, w- it would be nice to pastor a normal church, and I don't believe that this is a normal church. <laughs> uh, it'd be easier to pastor a normal church. Um, and uh, what I what I mean by that is, um, I sense God has a a plan and a purpose, as He does for for all churches, but a unique plan and purpose for us, at least that uh, I have not experienced before or had to to walk through before. And so, uh, as as part of uh, the team that helps to uh, give leadership uh, to Riverstone, we want to be sensitive to what uh, the Lord calls us to do, what he speaks to us about, and the doors and things that uh, he, he opens for us. We want to be sensitive about those things, and that requires us uh, to put in efforts in prayer and in seeking the Lord and listening uh, to, to his uh, voice. Uh, and one of the opportunities that I had in uh, in in seminary uh, to kind of grow in in theological knowledge, a, a good portion of the classes uh, and the books that we would read in those classes were actually books out of the business world, um, and you would kind of try to extrapolate principles and apply them. Uh, in in the church world. It was a time and season where many pastors were seen kind of as the executive of the church, the CEO, and kind of a real top-down uh, sort of approach to leadership within uh, the local church. But uh, when we look at the scriptures, what we find is that uh, there is not this kind of top-down approach, but it is the gifts that are given through the local church, and they're employed for the service of the local body and to see transformation in communities as the gospel moves forward. And so one of the things that we've intentionally uh, tried to do at, at Riverstone is to kind of press down the leadership uh, structure to sort of keep it as lateralized as possible so that we're listening to the various gifts of people that are employed. As Paul talked about, there are some gifts that are more public, and there are some gifts that are more private, but all of them are for uh, the, the building up and the encouragement of the body of Christ. And the Bible affirms to us that each of us have gifts to be employed uh, for the body of Christ. And so uh, that, that brings us to the point that each of us in this room have a part to play. Um, part, of, part of my role may be to share the scriptures with you on a fairly regular basis, but each one of us in this fellowship has a role to play with the gift that God has given you in order to see what God desires uh, to come to pass, to happen. And I believe there is a plan that God desires uh, to come to pass. 
little sobered this morning in uh, many ways because uh, I am aware of a, of a church that we've been praying about that today is our last Sunday in downtown Charlottesville. Uh, churches open and churches close. And uh, it's a little bit sobering that in a city that is needful, there is a fellowship that today is our last Sunday. And I'll be open with you. I, I, I hadn't really planned to say a lot here, but I've been op- I'll be open with you that we spent a lot of time in prayer about that fellowship downtown and what God might do and how God might help us to help. And uh, I don't know what that means, but I want you to pray. In fact, I'd like us to pray right now. One, those are hurting people, okay? Uh, so we want to recognize that. Those are hurting people uh, who had start out, started out with a vision, and then it comes down that that vision uh, maybe does not happen in the way that they anticipated. So those are hurting people in the body of Christ this morning that we want to uh, pray about. Uh, secondly, uh, again, uh, is there opportunity is there opportunity uh, for us as a fellowship uh, to think about what God may do? So I'd like, us, I'd like us to pray. I'd like us to spend some time here praying. I have seven pages of notes to get through a message this morning. <laughs> and this is not in my notes, uh, but it is a point of what I believe God's calling us to do. And so I'm going to ask us to go to the Lord in prayer and to really, one, pray for uh, that fellowship, but to also uh, pray about uh, what God may be speaking uh, to us to do, okay? So let's seek Him together. What I mean by that is seek Him together. Uh, Let's pray together, Uh, not simply listening to my prayer, although you can certainly do that, but in your heart, try to seek the Lord on behalf of what we're collectively seeking Him for, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, that we can come to you in these moments and uh, ask you to intervene and to give wisdom, grace, and understanding, Lord. God, we pray, we, we, we step out in uh, faith and pray, Lord Jesus. One, we ask you, God, to comfort a hurting congregation. You said when one part of the body hurts, the whole hurts, Lord. And so this morning we heard that there were, uh, had to be some decisions made that would get to a point of uh, a, a fellowship determining uh, we, we just can no longer uh, continue to meet for various reasons, continue to meet together and to be an influence uh, where we are. Well, we pray for them. Uh, we pray, Lord, from the, for the pastoral leadership, for the, the congregation. God, we pray for the comforting power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that that uh, the gospel that was preached, the message of hope that was shared, that foundation is sure and certain. God's word will not return void, even if maybe things had not transpired in the way in which was anticipated at the beginning. God, we pray, Lord, that you would comfort them to know that as the gospel was preached faithfully, as people were touched, Lord Jesus, that there, uh, there, there is a foundation that has been laid for your glory. 
We thank you for that, Lord God. And God, because this has been on our heart, because this has been uh, something that, uh, that at least personally I've prayed about, I know others have, have been praying about, and we, we wonder, Lord, is, is a door here, God? And it seems maybe the door closed. Maybe there is no door, God. We don't want to step. Uh, we don't want to step out, Lord, in, 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 in any type of disobedience to your will, Lord. But we also don't want to uh, step back because of, of, of fear or not understanding, Lord. We want to make a, a move for your glory if that's what you're calling us to do, Lord. And so collectively in this fellowship, God, we seek you earnestly for wisdom that only comes from you, Lord. Uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death, Lord. We don't, we don't want to go in that direction, Lord God. We want to go in the direction that you are speaking and calling us to do, Lord. And so we pray that with what you have entrusted to us, you will help us to be faithful, Lord Jesus. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be obedient. Help us to seek you earnestly, God, for the things which you desire of us. Uh, we love you, Lord. We're grateful, Lord, for the fellowship that is ours in you, the fellowship among brothers and sisters, the fellowship through the power of the Spirit, the fellowship that we have uh, through you, uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ with you, Lord. So God, guide us by your grace today and mercy, and we just uh, intercede. We lift up those who are, are hurting this morning in our community. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your grace and kindness. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, I've, I've, someone introduced me to, a, to a, a, an author. I've had an opportunity to, to talk with him. And uh, he talks about, uh, in some writings that he does, uh, Alistair Petrie. Uh, he talks about uh, community transformation, a local church's role in uh, community transformation. I've been uh, reading uh, some of his material and uh, as I've been reading and praying about it, one of the things that I truly believe for us as a, as a fellowship is that God has placed us in this city, in this area, in this community uh, in order to exalt the name of Jesus. So uh, we, we are responsible as a fellowship to reach out into our city and to exalt Christ's name in order that there would be transformation in our city. So we're not just praying to fill up in this building uh, or more people to come to Jesus so that more seats will be filled in this building. We're actually praying for a broader purpose, which is that as we pray and as people come to know Jesus and as they may go to other good gospel preaching churches, that our community will begin to be transformed by the grace of God and for the glory of God. And so we pray for God's glory in our city. We, we take the gospel to our city, and we intercede for the purpose of transformation in our community. And I believe that when a church is serious about gospel-centered community 
transformation, that there are breakthroughs that will happen both personally and in the community. And that's what our, our text this morning speaks about. And that's why uh, we've been kind of walking through, I believe, by the grace of God, walking through this series that began with getting the rocks out of our own life. When we're focused on uh, being free from our own sin, from our own challenges, from the things we're tangled, tangled up against, it's hard for us to think and pray about community transformation. So one of the goals of, uh, 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 that I believe the Lord has for us as a fellowship is to be a fellowship that sees breakthroughs in people's lives personally so that then that person becomes an effective intercessor, warrior, prayer for transformation in our community. In fact, what we see is those who maybe have what, what, what we may say kind of at the, at the bottom of the barrel here, somebody who's kind of tied up and at the bottom of the barrel, when God releases them from the bondage of sin, they almost become the most effective evangelists in the community, the effective, transforma- effective agent of transformation in the community because they tell what great things God has done in them. So we have to be a fellowship that prays for and sees the personal transformation in people's lives. We can't envision, I can't envision a scenario where people are simply just trapped in their iniquity and sin and come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and there is no personal transformation. There has to be personal transformation. But personal transformation is not just simply for the purpose that my personal life will be better. Deliverance and personal transformation is for the purpose that I will be a laborer in the vineyard and see transformation in the place where God has planted me. So when we look at our text, which we'll read in just a moment, I believe there are five areas that we can look at that speak about uh, transformation and how transformation comes about. And in this uh, particular uh, chapter, we, we see them. One, uh, we see God's, God's people seek the Lord's. We, wanna, we want there to be transformation, and this seems very obvious, but the people of God have to seek God for transformation. Right. We think that righteousness brings God's favor. So getting the rocks out, personal righteousness brings God's favor. We see that worship and God's word are found together. Worship and God's word are found together. Fourthly, we see that God's word speaks to the immediate needs in the community. God is able to speak to us about the immediate needs and where we must be focusing our energy and our intercession right now. And then number five, God is faithful to fulfill every single promise that he makes to us. He's faithful to fulfill every single promise that he makes to us. So if you'll stand with me, uh, let's read the word of the Lord in 2 Kings uh, chapter Three. I've referenced this scripture about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, uh, in, in uh, a message that sort of uh, launched out into this series, and I want us to focus more heavily, heavily, <laughs> heavily on it uh, today. We're going to pick it up at verse 9. 
but I will uh, put it in its context once we finish reading, uh, reading the text. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they made a circuit of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the, and one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat went down to, uh, with, and the king of Edom went down to him. Now Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, Now, now his father and mother were Ahab and, and Jezebel. And the king of Israel said to him, No. For the Lord has called these three kings together to give them into the hand of Moab. Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. He said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, both you and your cattle and your beasts. This is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. Then you shall strike every fortified city and every choice city, and fell every good tree, and stop all springs of water, and mar every good piece of land with stones." It happened in the morning about the time of offering the sacrifice that, behold, water came by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Heavenly Father, we again just pray uh, your blessings upon the reading of the word and now the preaching of the word as well. Lord, that uh, you would be faithful to speak to us, Lord, uh, from your word. God, that you will help me not to do or say anything that would detract, Lord. Uh, Lord, but I would only speak those things which you would have for us today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, I ask it. Amen. And you may be seated. So what is going on here is there is uh, a king of Moab, and the king of Moab, his name is Misha, and he was essentially a, a vassal or under uh, the rulership of the king of Israel. And uh, the Israelites had at one time defeated uh, the northern part of Moab, and this king had come under the subservience of the king of Israel. So Moab was under the rulership, essentially, of Israel. And in order, uh, in, in, in the process of this taking place, a tribute, a regular tribute, was paid from the king of Moab to the king of Israel of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. And so after the death of Ahab, the previous king of Israel, Moab saw an opportunity to kind of throw off that burden. 
You know, if you can uh, get out of debt in some way, you kind of see a path to make it happen, you're going to take it. And that's exactly what Moab did. They took the opportunity to kind of throw off the hand of Israel, and they rebelled. Jehoram uh, was the king of Israel, and Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And so, as you know, Israel uh, had split into two kingdoms, uh, and uh, Jehoram was the ruler of Israel, Jehoshaphat, the ruler of the southern uh, kingdom, uh, Judah. And Israel requested Judah's help in fighting against the Moabites, and they went and requested the help of the king of Edom as well. So you have three kings, Israel, Judah, and, uh, and Edom against the Moabites. So you have three kings who are going up to battle against the Moabites. Now the idea of the king of Israel is that we'll travel up and we'll come down behind the Moabite territory. And so they make what the Bible says is a circuit, or they begin to go up and behind, which is a seven days journey, and they run out of water on this journey. And so here you are, imagine marching three armies together to fight against the Moabites who have an army, and now you're seven days into your journey uh, looking to begin this battle and this fight, and yet your troops nor your cattle have any water. So you begin to fear. No one has sought the Lord unto now, and this lack of water seems to be certain certain death, and that Moab would be able to come in and defeat uh, the three kings. And so they... Uh, The kings, they say, is there not somebody here who can give us a word? And one of the servants says, there is a man who is a servant of the Lord who is used to pour water or help minister to Elijah. Uh, Elijah had just been taken up in a whirlwind prior to this, and that prophet's name was Elisha. Elisha visits the three kings. He has no regard for the king of Israel, uh, who continued many of the abominable practices of Ahab and uh, Jezebel. And he looks at the king of Judah and he said, were it not for the righteousness or the regard that I have for the king of Judah, I would not even speak to any of you. And so because of the righteousness of Jehoshaphat, Elisha seeks a word of the Lord. They call him a musician. And I have essentially a time of worship. Elijah hears from God, and the word of God is that God is going to bring water in the land, and God will help them defeat the Moabites. But the three kings have to dig ditches to receive the water. And when the defeat of the Moabites comes, they are utterly to destroy the land of Moab. I know some of you are ESV readers. Uh, ESV reader, the ESV Bible uh, says in this passage uh, that there is a dry stream bed. And essentially the translation there, as I've, I've, I've looked and checked with multiple versions and commentaries, the translation is there was a stream bed that was there and the word of the Lord came to say, dig the trenches essentially in the dry stream bed in order that whatever water comes, the stream bed would hold even more than what was anticipated. 
So there's a translation issue that most of the versions pick up. The ESV isn't quite as clear on that point. But again, the essential point here is that these kings were to dig ditches within the dry stream bed in order that when the water comes, it would fill even to a greater capacity. So they go about digging as many ditches as they can. They have a limited amount of time, a limited amount of people to do as much work as possible. And the next day they get up and the ditches are filled with water, which is a miracle from the Lord. And the sun shines down on the water and it creates this red hue over the water. And the Moabites come up and they look at the red hue on the water and they think these three kings have warred against one another in the night. And they think the ditches are actually full of blood. And so they say, we're going to go down and take the spoil. And so when they go down and start to take the spoil, these three armies overtake them. And they defeat and slaughter the army of Moab. And so that brings us to the first point that I'd like to emphasize to you out of this passage, out of verse 11. When we encounter a challenge or a difficulty in our life or as a church, it's God's people, are, our intuitive sense is to seek the Lord. As God's people, our first notion ought to be to seek the Lord. Contrast the king of Israel and the king of Judah. Immediately, the unrighteous king fears in verse 10. And that's what happens when you live apart from God. Living apart from God brings fear. Someone shared uh, with me, I believe it was this week, this uh, Barna study of uh, millennials, those born between 1984 and 2002. And one of the primary characteristics of people born in that age range is fear, anxiety, and depression. Fear, anxiety, and depression is what is a major characteristic of those uh, born between 1984 and 2002. Psalms 37 and 8 tells us where there is fear or worry or anxiety, there is opportunity for sin. So, you know, we ought not be surprised that when there's a high level of fear in society, there's also a high level of sin in society. Jehoshaphat, as the more righteous king out of the three, knew enough to seek the Lord during a time of need. And this is the defining characteristic of God's people. We are people who seek God's help. We are people who seek God's wisdom. We are people who seek the grace and power of God in every single circumstance. Our heart ought to be to turn to the Lord. We ought not search through all of the business books or all the leadership books or all the things of understanding. Our first idea, our first concept ought to be to go to the Lord. Amen. Jehoshaphat desired to seek the Lord and God answered him because of his righteousness. Elisha's reaction to the situation was only favorable because Jehoshaphat had a heart that was turned toward the Lord. Elisha only had derision for the king of Israel. He had no regard. He said, I don't even want to see your face. 
were it not for Jehoshaphat being here, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't give you a word of the Lord. In fact, his first thing when he sees the king of Israel, he says, go turn to the prophets and to the other people that your parents had. Why aren't you going to them? But because he had regard for Jehoshaphat and the reforms that Jehoshaphat had instituted, he gave a word from the Lord that was a timely word. See, God's favor is associated with those who live righteously in Christ Jesus. Now, the challenge here is that when we're preaching the gospel to those who haven't heard, we often get it reversed. Oh, you've got to do A, B, C, and D, or I feel like I have to do A, B, C, and D in order to make that commitment to Jesus. And that's the, that's the wrong way. You don't do anything to merit the grace of God. You can't do anything to receive that grace. It is, it is just God's pouring out his riches upon you because he loves you. But once you come into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it is necessary for us to pray about, see the rocks in our life. And at least try by God's grace to get them out of our life, to live righteously and holy before the Lord. That is a responsibility of those who love him. If righteousness brings God's favor, unrighteousness limits God's help and brings judgment. The king of Israel would not have found God's favor were it not for Jehoshaphat. Jeremiah 29 and, and 12, we like to quote 29 and 11 uh, quite often, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, uh, plans to give you hope and a future. And in that passage, just to contextualize this idea in uh, Jeremiah is God is saying to the Israelites, you're going to go into captivity. You're going to go through difficult times. You're going to, you're going to go through uh, this challenging season of life, but I'm going to bring you through it. And on the other end of that, I'm offering you hope, a plan, and a purpose. I have plans for you on the other side of these challenges that you're going to walk through. And then verse 12 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I've asked myself the question recently, do I seek after God with all my heart? With everything that is within me, have I made it to that place where I'm seeking after God with all my heart? He says, when you seek after me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore you from captivity and gather you from all the nations and places to which I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will restore you to the place from which I sent you into exile. Oftentimes we cry out tacitly for deliverance or tacitly for hope, but are we truly searching after God with our whole heart? We're longing for deliverance. We're longing for freedom. We're longing for the plan of God to be manifest in our midst. Are we searching after God with our whole heart? Because what happens when we search after God with our whole heart, someone may say, they're fanatics. <laughs> Would to God that there were more fanatics. We're so concerned at times about just getting everything just right and in place that maybe we miss God. Amen. 
searching after him with our whole heart, everything that is within us. I think I may have illustrated something along these lines last, last week, but if there were a box in this church that had uh, 20 one-ounce gold bars, and I said, whoever gets them can have them, which one of us wouldn't tear up the place? We'd be searching, wouldn't we? Because it's a treasure worth having. It's how we ought to search after the Lord with our whole heart, everything that is within us. And we especially have to be careful when we look at someone else who's searching God with their whole heart and that spirit of derision rises up within us. Many years ago, I was taking, uh, uh, someone took me to a, um, a, a, a Pentecostal uh, kind of camp. And uh, we went, and when you went in, it looked like kind of one of, the, uh, one of the camps kind of that you think about, like from the 1940s or 1950s, sort of cinder block walls, kind of um, um, just, just sort of kind of put together, I guess, is the way I would, I would describe it. And uh, I, I went in the place, and in, in the worship time, you know, there were people who would sit and, and worship the Lord like we would be experienced with. And then there were people who, you know, kind of look, look a little different and were out doing all kinds of things, you know, in the front. And I can remember kind of looking and seeing and in my heart uh, sort of having a sense of pridefulness about what was going on. Kind of silly what's happening up there. It's kind of what begins to process through my mind. And God immediately convicts my heart. He's chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And who am I to sit back and fold my hands and look at somebody who is trying to do everything they can to get in God's presence, to sit back with derision and think, what in the world are you doing? You're making a fool of yourself. Would that there would be more fools for the Lord. Seeking after him with our whole heart. God's favor is shown to those who seek after him with their whole heart. We see in this passage also, as we're looking towards community transformation, we're thinking about community transformation, we see worship and God's word are routinely found together. We see that throughout scripture. I'm not saying this is the only way that you can hear from the Lord, but I'm saying this is a way that we can be in God's presence and hear from the Lord. Elisha called for a minstrel or someone to play, someone to, to worship, to help him focus his heart toward the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 15 that when the minstrel played, the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. And yes, we can say, well, that's Old Testament. You don't have to do that anymore. But what I can tell you is that when we are worshiping together, when as a congregation we come together and what is happening in our congregation, we ought to think about. We have various instruments that are going on, but one unified song that's kind of focusing us in a direction. We have different people probably singing in different 
different ways, but we're trying to all kind of sing towards the same thing. So a, a great diversity that is happening when we sing together, yet it is in one unified moment of praise. And there's been times when we have worshiped together when our hearts are just kind of caught up to the Lord, and you can call it what you want, but there is a kind of a, a shift in the immediate atmosphere of where we are, where we just kind of collectively sense God's presence is here. We, we sense it. It's not just some sort of esoteric kind of thing. It is a focus that God's presence is in our midst as we are unified and together and crying out to him. And we do see this in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. What were they? What does the Bible say? They were in unity and one accord. There's a reason why we sing songs of praise to the Lord. And there's a reason why sometimes it feels like we're just not getting there because our minds are focused on so many other things. But when God's Spirit comes and He focuses us together on the glory and exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a shift that happens and the Holy Spirit moves because the Lord is searching after those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the minstrel and Elisha, they were doing two different things, but they were focused towards the same thing. It was utilized for the purpose of hearing from the Lord. Note, if we were to go and read John 17 and verse 20, how often Jesus prays for unity. Unity. Unity in the body. When we come together in unity, we're unified in our singing. We're unified in our heart. We're unified even in the preached word. This is not just kind of a lecture that you are receiving. Why do some people say amen during a message? They say amen because there is agreement. So we're agreeing together that God is speaking to us or God is present with us or God is somehow supernaturally working in our midst. And we're saying, yes, there is agreement that this is the word of the Lord. Right. Unity, what Jesus prayed for in John 17. Yes. There is something to be said for creating an atmosphere of worship. There is something to be said for focusing our mind upon the Lord Jesus Christ and worship and in the preaching of the gospel. And I've heard some people say, well, you know, music just kind of hypes up the emotion of people to which I would say, we've tried it without emotion for so long. How about we try it a little differently? God created our emotions. And we should worship him with our emotions and our intellect. And it's in times of that unity and communion with the Lord that he often speaks to us. The weekend that we spent together, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in prayer, if we were able to just kind of, if we were able to keep our eyes open, if, 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 if some of us were able to just kind of sit and be here the whole time and listen to what was being prayed, and just begin to take notes at themes that begin to be hit over and over and over again. While we had kind of a general outline of things we were praying for, some of what we saw that weekend was there were some general things that people weren't aware that other people were praying at different times that God began to speak. Part of that was about deliverance from sin and bondage. Part of that was about the power of God 
in our Spanish fellowship. Part of that was about God's heart for our city, God's desire to see transformation in Charlottesville. If we desire to hear from the Lord, we should be a worshiping, praying, word-centered community in unity together to understand where God is calling us to dig the ditches in order to receive the water that the Holy Spirit desires to bring to our community. So God spoke to Elisha in a moment of worship about the immediate needs of what was going on right then. Verse 16 uh, tells us, he says, the Lord said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you shall drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. There was a necessary need in the community, and that was water. There was a necessary action that had to happen. That was digging the ditches. As many ditches as they could dig, God would supply the water. But there was urgency. It was a limited time to act. God was sending water the next morning. There was urgency. An urgency about what God was calling the people to do. Verse 19, Then you shall strike every fortified city and every choice city and fell every good tree and stop all springs of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. So not only were you to dig ditches in anticipation of the water, but you were to also be ready to be obedient once the water filled the ditches and in order to act on the next command of the Lord. They had to be obedient both before and after the immediate need was met. There is an expectation of obedience. Oftentimes we see Deliverance happens, and I think sometimes genuine deliverance, and then later on, go right back to what it was before. Because it's a failure to be obedient after God has done a work. A failure. We put ourselves right back in the same situation, around the same people, same things, everything else. God delivers. God does his work. We pray, and we seek, and we're earnestly. God speaks. Yeah, do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. God delivers miraculously, and then down the road we forget we got to be obedient on this end too. There's an obedience that is required even after God's deliverance. We, we pray for breakthrough. We pray for transformation. Then we go back to the old way. Even after the time when the Lord has miraculously done a work. So we must be faithful. We must be faithful to do the things that God has called us to do with urgency and immediacy in our community to see something transformed. And then God will miraculously do what he does. That in this case, bringing water into the land. In our case, praying and asking God for spiritual water to water our city. But then we also have to be faithful on the other side to be prepared for what's going to happen. What's going to happen when God begins to move on other people's hearts? 
And God begins to call them to salvation. And they come to church with their difficult circumstances and their habits and the things that have been made a mess in their past. Then we have to be ready to help them, ready for them to walk through the path of sanctification, ready to encourage them in the ways of the Lord. Not to be obedient before and after God's powerful miracle. And that's not to discount. God is at work through all of that. God is at work through the whole thing. But there's a responsibility upon us, too. And finally, we see in this passage in verse 20 that God is faithful to fulfill every promise. Verse 20 says, It happened in the morning about the time of offering the sacrifice, that behold, water came by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. God calls us to seek him for that revelation of that immediate need. In our case, that is, what does it take? What is it that God is searching for in order to bring transformation to this community? Not just us, but people outside of these walls around us, the people who live in subdivisions and in places around us. What does God want to do in these communities and in these areas? What does God want to do in the city of Charlottesville? What does God want uh, to do up in Green and over in Crozet and Waynesboro and Stanton and some of these areas? What is God's heart for these cities? Do we, do we think God doesn't have a heart for these cities? God doesn't want to see people there? Uh, 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 Chris was leading a Bible study that I sat in on this week. And uh, uh, in, in the U.S., there are 5,500, uh, around that, 5,500 people per day who pass into eternity without knowing Jesus. Wow. 5,500 people just in the U.S., again, statistically, who pass off into eternity. Is that right? who pass off into eternity without knowing the Lord. And so when we pray about community transformation, that statistic ought to stick in our mind. God, what brings that number down? What brings it down to 5,000? God, what can happen in our city through your grace? What ditches do we have to dig to receive the water when it comes that brings that number down to 4,500, that brings it down to 4,000, that brings it down to 3,500, then 3,000, then 2,500, then 2,000, then 1,500, then 1,000, then 500, then no one, no one passes off into eternity. Do we believe that that's actually possible? Is it possible that we can see a city so transformed, a community, a county, so transformed by the gospel that there is not one person who passes in a day off into hell? Right. That's it. Come on, God. Help us, Jesus. We ought to act in such a way that we believe that is possible. We ought to pray in such a way that we believe that is possible because God is faithful to fulfill every single promise. And if he's called us in this community and he's called us to act and he's called us to dig ditches to receive the water of the Holy Spirit, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. He's faithful to fulfill his promises. And so that's what is what we must 
focus our attention on as a congregation. We want to be a place where those who are hurting find hope. But we also want to be a place where those who have hope go and find the hurting. We want to see this area transformed for the gospel. There's other churches who want it too. There's other churches that want it too. But we want it. And we have to focus our prayers and do the heavy lifting of what it means to pray into it, receive God's counsel and wisdom, and to act without fear or caution with what God is calling us to do as his people. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray into that for a few moments. Thank you for being a part of Riverstone Church. I hope today's message encouraged you to take a step closer to Christ. If there is anything we can pray for or talk with you about, please visit our website at riverstonechurch.net. May the Lord bless you this week and may you walk in all of his promises and plans for your life.